You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look Podcast with Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor at The Washington Post. President Biden is still in the Middle East, landing in Saudi Arabia this afternoon, local time. But when he returns to Washington over the weekend, he'll return to a country with a 40-year high inflation rate and bad poll numbers. Here to make sense of the president's predicament is Dan Baltz, chief correspondent at the Washington Post. Dan, welcome back to First Look. Thank you, Jonathan. Nice to be back. Okay, so we've got 10 minutes and a gajillion stories to talk about. Before we get to the inflation and the bad poll numbers, we've got to talk about this, this story about the Secret Service and messages being deleted and, and the Secret Service um, uh, Inspector General being the one to send the letter to Congress saying, hey, these messages from January 5th and January 6th have been deleted. Pretty extraordinary, isn't it? I, I mean, when this began to break yesterday afternoon, I was frankly, like I suspect everybody, astonished uh, at that news. And um, we're digging in on it, obviously. Our, our team, Carol Lennig, who knows more about the Secret Service than any of us yeah. around, uh, is all over this story, but um, this is a, a this is a, a potentially huge development um, in what we think we may know about what was happening in that period in the role of the Secret Service. And given the testimony of Cassidy Hutchison a few weeks ago uh, about the Secret Service, uh, this just adds to the questions about what's going on. So uh, it's it's a it's a big development, and I think we're all anxious to know more about it. Right, and what also makes this um, also significant, and I would stay with me here. I'm, I'm checking my notes. Um, the the uh, Department of Homeland Security Inspector General um, is a man by the name of Joseph Kafari. I, I know I'm, I'm mispronouncing his name, but what makes it interesting is that he was appointed by Donald Trump uh, and uh, in that position. And so, um, should am I reading too much? into this, that it was a Trump appointee who's ringing the alarm. I don't know whether you're reading too much into that or not. I just think at this point, there's so many more questions than answers. Um, and I think we just have to, we have to go through the process of, um, of the investigations that are going to have to take place to reveal more about what this, what this actually means. Um, it, on the face of it, it sounds nefarious, um, but we can't, totally jumped to conclusions. And we'll just have to see as this unfolds exactly what happened. Yeah. And I should also point out that he is the same guy who halted the investigation into the Secret Service behavior and role in Lafayette Park um, during the demonstrations after the murder of George Floyd. Okay. Let's talk about the, uh, the, the president's bad poll numbers. Uh, Dan, a New York Times, Siena College poll showing the president's approval rating down to 33%. This is at Trump level approval um, rating. Is it all because of inflation? Well, a fair amount of it is because of inflation. Um, some of it is because uh, Democrats are disaffected with the president as we as we know. I mean, I think that in that poll, his approval among Democrats is only about 70%, which is which is just, you know, a very low number. Uh, given these polarized times, you would expect under normal circumstances that the president's approval rating among people in his own party would be closer to 90 percent. So part of it, part of it is that. Now, we should we should note that the 33 percent is at this point a bit of an outlier. It's it's lower 
by several points than most of the polls and certainly the poll average. I mean, he's still closer to 40 than to 35 percent. Um, it's a terrible number, obviously, and it, it has attracted a huge amount of attention. Um, but it is one poll. And I think we, again, will have to go through this. But uh, but even if it's, you know, even if he's kind of where the average is, um, he's in he's in very low territory for an incumbent president uh, at a time when his party's facing an election. So th that's why Democrats are as nervous as they are and concerned about him. Yeah, and that nervousness is showing itself in another um, uh, poll number, and that is 64% of Democratic voters surveyed said they want someone other than Biden to be the presidential nominee in 2024. What's driving that? Is it disaffection with, with President Biden or... Go ahead. Well, well, Jonathan, I think it's a combination of things. <clears throat> I think certainly uh, some of it is is disaffection. Um, we know that there's some disaffection on the left, uh, impatience, frustration that he has not been able to deliver on some of the things that that the progressive wing of the party has been pushing for. Um, you know, he has no margin of error in the in the Senate, and that's one of the reasons that some things have not been able to get done. And we've we've seen another monkey wrench thrown into the negotiations uh, yesterday with Senator Manchin saying he's not going to go for climate spending in this bill that they're trying to work out. Uh, so some of it is is disaffection. Uh, some of it, frankly, is the is the fact that that. Uh, He's 79 years old and he would be 82 years old at, at the time he would be sworn in for a second term. Um, there are a lot of people who think that's simply too old and they would prefer someone else. Um, but I think, again, we have to point out that that was a poll just simply saying, would you like him to run again or not? Uh, mm -hmm. It was not a poll that tested him against potential uh, rivals. Right. right, right. That's a that's a key point, Dan. But since you mentioned the Senate, let's talk about the Senate and Republicans. Um, the Post reports this week um, that their chances of gaining control of the Senate may be hobbled by a string of questionable candidates. I'm thinking of Herschel Walker, Senator Johnson, Dr. Oz come to mind. If these were normal times, I'd say they're all toast. But these are not normal times, Dan. Do Republicans actually stand a chance of taking over the Senate, even with these questionable candidates? Yes, they do because we're we're in a situation in which it's a you know it it should be a pretty good Republican year, and so uh, even with flawed candidates, uh, you know a kind of a a wave election can bring in bad candidates, and we've seen that in the past. We saw in 1980 a, a good number of Republicans elected to the Senate who after one term got knocked out because they proved not to be very effective senators. Um, so you could see something like that happening. But I think one of the interesting things that we're seeing in, in this election cycle is that there is kind of all, near universal consensus that the Republicans are likely to take over the House of Representatives, uh, but much more doubt about how the, the Senate will end up after we get through this election. It's possible that the Democrats will continue to be in control. It's possible that they'll have uh, a, 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 maybe a seat more than they have at this point, but it's certainly possible that they'll be in the minority. Jo Jonathan, I want to go back to one point about that, that New York Times-Siena poll. As bad as President Biden's approval rating is in that poll, the so-called generic ballot question, which is the question in which people are asked, you know, if you were voting today, would you vote for the Republican or the Democrat? 
uh, in the House election in your district, uh, that was a, there was only a one point difference in that. It was not as though the Republicans had any significant advantage in that. And one of the things we've seen lately is that that generic ballot number uh, is not robustly in favor of the Republicans. Again, it doesn't mean they're not going to be able to take over the House because they don't need uh, very many seats. Um, but the there seems to be a bit of a disconnect between where the president's approval rating is uh, and how people think about uh, their vote for the House. And I think that may reflect people's ambivalence about uh, the Republican Party at this point. And we've talked about that many times before on this right. program. Right. And that um, also is an excellent point. Keep an eye on the generic ballot numbers, because given all the bad news for the Biden administration and for Democrats, those generic numbers should be moving in favor of Republicans. Dan, we're running out of time, but I can't let you go without asking you about what The Washington Post has reported and Olivia Nuzzi at New York Magazine um, is reporting that Donald Trump is actively looking at jumping back into running for president in 2024, but announcing this year, either before the midterms or after the midterms. What impact would a Donald Trump for president part two have, what impact would it have on the midterms if he announces before the midterm elections, which both are reporting is what, ex what he wants to do? Uh, Jonathan, I, I think that it's something that most Republicans would like not to happen. <clears throat> if he's going to run for president again, I think they would prefer that he wait until next year uh, because it inserts him into the middle of the election year um, in, during the fall campaign. Uh, and it gives Demo Democrats an opportunity uh, to make the case as they have been making it, uh, that this is a choice between the Democratic Party of today uh, however, you know, ambivalent people may be about that and what the president and the Democrats keep calling the MAGA Republicans. And you would have the MAGA in chief uh, out there uh, signaling his intention to run for president again. It adds another element to this race. Republicans would prefer not to have this all be about Donald Trump and his election lies about 2020. They want to they want to keep the focus on inflation, uh, the crime rate. Uh, immigration, um, and President Biden. Um, and to bring Donald Trump into the mix is something that I think they would prefer not to have happen. Dan, as always, um, we get we get going, uh, you and I talking, and when we run completely out of time, I have so many follow-up questions, but we're going to have to leave it there. Dan Balch, Chief Correspondent at The Washington Post, as always, thank you for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. Thanks, you too, Jonathan. All right, we're going to keep the conversation going with our opinions roundtable in a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find my colleagues, E.J. Dion and David Vondrilli. Thank you both. Uh, welcome back to First Look. Great to be with you and with David. Yeah. So, hello, E.J. We want to. I want to pick up the co the conversation that I was just having with Dan about the impact of, of Donald Trump on the midterms if he were to jump back into the um, presidential race. I mean, the Washington Post reported Thursday Trump may announce a presidential bid um, this fall, two years before the, the actual election. Actually, he's thinking of doing it, uh, yeah, this fall. That's October, which is before the, before the midterms. Who should worry more? 
about the impact of that move on the midterms, Democrats or Republicans? David, you go first. Wow. Um, <clears throat> probably the Republicans should worry about it more because uh, it, uh, it would definitely change the subject. And uh, right now, I think the Republicans, as Dan just said so accurately, he's always right. Um, the Republicans would prefer to be talking about the Biden administration, about its record, and about uh, the bread and butter issues, the economy. Uh, EJ and I, uh, I was remembering 30 years ago today, we were in uh, New York together at Madison Square Garden as uh, Bill Clinton was being nominated uh, on that famous slogan, it's the economy, stupid. Um, and it still is, and it always is. This would change the topic, certainly, to Donald Trump. And uh, uh, Jonathan, you, you referred to Trump 2.0. It's actually about Trump 4 or 5.0. Uh, he's flirted with or run for president over and over again in his life. And he won one time against uh, the worst campaign that I ever covered um, very narrowly. So this is not a strong candidate, but he is uh, somebody who, as we know, can uh, suck up all the oxygen in the conversation. And uh, right. that matters more to him than the Republican Party does. Right. Wow. David, talk about memory lane. 30 years ago, <laughs> you and EJ were covering the convention. I was a, I was a, you know, you were in grade school. No, no, no. I was a, I, I was a college <laughs> graduate at that point. <laughs> but I was in the hall that night um, watching Bill Clinton accept the, the party nomination. EJ, we'll love your view, your views on this. Who who is impacted more by a Trump for President 2024 campaign announced before the 2022 midterm elections, Democrats or Republicans? Well, I love this uh, 30 year reunion we're having here. That's awesome. The I, I think Democrats would be happy to organize run Donald run rallies all over America uh, for many of the reasons David uh, just said in a normal uh, midterm election at a normal time, the Republicans would be running away with this uh, because 9% inflation, uh, which is the last number is very scary to a lot of people. The president's approval rating, as you uh, talked about with Dan, is very low, whether it's as low as the New York Times measured it or just in the high 30s or low 40s. This is problematic. Um, but the Republicans are not yet running away with the midterm elections because there's all sorts of other stuff uh, going on. Uh, there are, is the Supreme Court and it's ruling uh, on abortion. There are the 1-6 hearings. And Donald Trump running into this race, uh, jumping into this race, would be exactly what Democrats would want in many of those suburban districts that Joe Biden carried. And I am struck uh, by something our colleague Perry Bacon uh, pointed out in a recent column, which is very consistently the generic Democratic number for the House is running ahead of Biden's approval ratings by quite a bit in some polls. That shows that, you know, yes, the numbers still favor the Republicans, but they are, as you suggested, um, they have real problems in uh, taking over the Senate. Uh, and even if they did win the House, their margin could be a whole lot smaller than all the wave election speculation suggests. Trump would make it a lot easier for the Democrats. 
All right, I've got to get you on one more thing on Trump, and that's this. Am I wrong to think that Donald Trump is considering running for president again and announcing it as early as this fall because he's trying to ice out Attorney General Merrick Garland from possibly indicting him? David. Yeah, I'm sure that's one of many uh, factors in his calculation. Um, as I say, the one thing you can count on is that he's not doing this because he thinks it would be good for the Republican Party <laughs> or that he wants to build, uh, you know, an institution or anything else. He's he's making the same calculation Donald Trump has always made every day of his life. What's in it for me? And uh, <clears throat> generally, his answer is chaos is good that uh, as long as people are confused, as long as people aren't sure exactly what's going on, that's an advantage to him. He's done that in business. Uh, he's done that in managing his image. And now I'm sure he's, he's thinking in the same way about how can I change this uh, dynamic that is not going well for me right now? And that includes uh, Merrick Garland. That includes the investigation in Atlanta, in Fulton County. It includes uh, still active investigations in New York. Um, <clears throat> all of this is bad for him. So what can he do to, to shake up the, the picture? EJ, you, you agree? Yeah, I agree with you entirely. I think that Trump wants to announce early um, because he wants to be able to say if Merrick Garland announces an indictment, this is all political. I think what this shows is how successful the 1-6 committee investigation has been, because I think Trump watching all of this, watching this seamless presentation they have made, and boy, Kevin McCarthy's decision not to put any Republicans on that committee was one of the bigger political mistakes we've seen in a while. Trump has watched all of this and says, the pressure on Merrick Garland now is much greater to indict. The evidence on behalf of an indictment is much greater. I got to shake this up, jump in there. And then if I'm indicted, I'll say it's all politics. I really do think that's a very big factor in his thinking. All right, I'm I think use, another factor for what ahead, it's worth, Jonathan, is just that uh, he's watching other candidates <clears throat> get early traction, um, and uh, particularly Ron DeSantis, the governor of uh, of Florida, who's running head to head with uh, Trump in some polls, and uh, he he he's worried about uh, letting people get momentum when he's not on the field. Uh, I agree with that. Point. Yeah, and yep. I, I'm going to use um, uh, EJ. You talked about the January 6th committee, so I'm going to segue over to um, the the January 6th committee hearing and the bombshell revelation made by the vice chair of the committee, uh, Congressman Liz Cheney, Republican of Wyoming, at the very end of that hearing on, I think it was Tuesday. Listen. After our last hearing, President Trump tried to call a witness in our investigation, a witness you have not yet seen in these hearings. That person declined to answer or respond to President Trump's call and instead alerted their lawyer to the call. Their lawyer alerted us. 
and this committee has supplied that information to the Department of Justice. Let me say one more time, we will take any effort to influence witness testimony very seriously. EJ, the implications of Donald Trump calling a witness who is close to testifying before the committee. Well, first of all, you know, that that clip you showed suggests something about the TV production quality of these hearings. I am struck that at the beginning of every hearing, Liz Cheney uh, uh, summarizes what they've done. It's previously on the one six hearings. And then at the end, there's always some bombshell that you got to tune in next time, you know, next week in one six hearing. It's really remarkable how well they've done this, unlike so many other congressional committees. Um, but yes, I think this is a big deal, but we need to know far more. Did Trump just call? Did he leave a message? If he left a message, what did he say in the message? Her implication is that they know more than just that he called. Um, and there is other evidence of Trump uh, uh, sort of uh, allies calling other witnesses. The fact that Trump himself might have called someone um, may suggest an escalation of his worries about what is going before this committee. But before we draw big conclusions, I think we're going to have to tune in to find out exactly what they have. <laughs> right. And David, th th to add on to this um, and also to add to, to the drama, she also said that they sent they they sent the information to the Justice Department. So does that give credence to what um, EJ just said? And that is they know a whole lot more than what Vice Chair Cheney teased out at the at the end of the last hearing on Tuesday. I think it does. Uh, I agree with EJ. These hearings have delivered a lot more than I expected them to do. Uh, uh, <clears throat> sometimes. You know, the saying, uh, unanswered prayers are sometimes God's greatest gift. Unwritten columns are sometimes the best ones. And I'm thankful that I didn't write a column uh, predicting that these uh, hearings would be a bust. So um, they, I bet they do know more. They, they usually are, are underselling what they have uh, and delivering bombshells. Uh, Trump, we know how he'll answer this. It was a perfect phone call. Um, and he'll gut it out. And uh, uh, <clears throat> but uh, but for now, he is back on his heels. I agree with EJ. It suggests that he's uh, starting to get worried that he would be making these phone calls himself. Uh, possibly people around him are declining to make these calls on his behalf anymore as they understand the, the legal uh, jeopardy that they're putting themselves in. Um, EJ, the, the Wall Street Journal reported that the committee might consider seeking testimony from Donald Trump and Mike Pence. Realistically, what are the chances of them actually, of them actually inviting the committee, inviting them, and the 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 actuality or reality that Trump and or Pence would actually show up? I think that it's pretty clear that the committee did not move earlier. I mean, obviously, they are the two witnesses who know the most. Um, and I think the committee has clearly pursued a strategy of uh, we are going to pile up facts before we go to um, DEFCON 3 or whatever it is by calling uh, the two obvious witnesses. And they've done that. And it's clear 
that the more they have put out there, the more pressure they have put on other people to show up. Pat Cipollone, uh, the uh, White House counsel who showed up, it was after uh, the Cassidy Hutchinson explosive uh, testimony. Um, and so I think they will call them in some way. Um, and I think that Donald Trump will not appear under oath uh, because he doesn't want to add perjury to the list of uh, potential charges. I think it's a really interesting choice for Mike Pence, uh, whether um, whether he wants to appear or not. Um, I think he's got to realize that he has burned most of his bridges uh, to the MAGA crowd. Um, and he has sent all his other folks for the moment. He's saying it's beneath the dignity of the vice president's office. I don't think that holds anymore after all the information we have. Mm -hmm. um, we are running out of time. So I want to end on something um, hopeful. Uh, David, um, uh, we've been mesmerized this week from images from the James, the James Webb Space Telescope. Uh, you wrote this week, that all the cost and effort that went into making uh, the Webb Telescope um, work was well worth it. And here's what you wrote. The farther we see, the humbler we become, and the fruit of humility is gratitude. In the time we have left, David, talk more about that. Well, it's just, uh, it, this is an astonishing achievement. Uh, the, the engineering that went into delivering a, uh, a complicated machine a million miles from Earth, uh, having it unfold itself, uh, stretch out multi-layers of, of sun shield the size of a tennis court, all of this, uh, anybody who says America can't make things anymore needs to think and stop and think about the Webb Space Telescope. And then to see what it's doing uh, not after years, but after a couple of days, these are the very first pictures that it, this this uh, marvel has taken, and it's uh, it's changing. It should be changing everything we we know and think about the scale of the universe, and therefore our place in it. And what a miracle it is that uh, we have this Earth, and uh, it's just the right size and shape and, and atmosphere for us to live in and to appreciate uh, what we're learning. I, I'm just blown away. Uh, and uh, it's the best $10 billion uh, the United States has spent in, in decades. EJ, Everybody got a should left. read David's beautiful column. I'm glad it wasn't on his pile of unwritten <laughs> columns. Thank you for that one, David. Thank you. And with that, how about we how about we leave it there on such a, a hopeful, um, wonderful note? EJ Dion, David Vandrilli, thank you both very much for coming back to First Look. Have a good weekend. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with the series, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.